defence tearing out to try and make him offside. Blocking's there, and it must surely be a goal for Balzaka. The look of joy on the face of Sergei Balzaka says it all. It's 3-0 to Russia. Rufa trying to get the opening for the shot. Oh, what a good shot. And what a good save. Winston Rufa really hammered that one in with his left foot. Middle, this is Lato. Lato into the area. It's Banyo 82, day seven. It's meant to be an interlude, I think, when we were looking at the fixtures. Just a day to kind of catch our breath after the Brazilians, before the group stages explode back into life. But mm, I don't know. Kieran and Mick said, I think there's more stories here than you might think, Rob. How are you, Kieran? Buenos dias, Rob. Um, what did God make on the seventh day? Was oh. it this stuff? Possibly. I'm not convinced. Um, not Le Coronia Stadium, that's for sure. <laughs> no, uh, La Coruña Stadium is uh, be- becoming <laughs> the least popular place to watch football in this World Cup. Two draws so far. Yeah. I think the, the CIE bus was parked there as well. Mick, how are you? I'm all right. I'm all right, yeah. I think um, I think also the fact that we, we established in one of the earlier episodes that the, the roof of the La Coruña Stadium is made of crisp bread. So, yeah. again, fact. you know... <laughs> It doesn't recommend it in any weather, really, does it? Um, but it was a fight. Like, like I think I mentioned this expression a couple of episodes ago. It's, you got you got World Cup ballast, you know. Mm. But also, but also today, you also have a hangover from having watched the Brazilians. You know, it's a bit of a case of you know, if I hadn't known such riches, I could live with being poor. Yes, mm. <laughs> not even just the Brazilians because uh, Argentina turned it on yesterday yeah. too. You know yeah. I mean? so, yeah. Yeah, it's true. There was a lot of good football yesterday. Peru versus Cameroon. Let's just get into game one. Most of these games weren't on telly. It always blows my mind when I'm looking at the TV reviews in, in Great Britain. Anyways, it was just like one game a day. What a different time, Mick. Yeah, absolutely. And even Peru versus Cameroon. Are we stepping back in time? Poland versus Cameroon. Uh, yeah, hang on away now. Hang on away now. I know we're a little bit kind of woozy and fuzzy at the day after watching Brazil, but we need to get it together now. All right. Come on. Get the coffees in. Get your breakfast rolls. Let get that hangover out of your system. Let's do this. Yes, Poland, Polska. Lads, I, I think I watched about twenty minutes of Peru Cameroon by mistake again. <laughs> you just can't get away from those 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 classics, think, can you? I think I think that's how bad it was. We've only got seven days into it, and I'm hallucinating. I can't remember watching Poland versus Cameroon. Anyways, did someone watch it? Did you Rob, watch Rob's it? Kubias. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! What He's were the games good. today, Rob? What were the games today? Remind ah, us. Look, what I'm were glad the games? you asked, Mick. I'm glad you asked because my job here, and it's one important job, is to know this stuff. <laughs> He's, done spreadsheets, folks. He's done spreadsheets. <laughs> literal, literally, one job. Uh, Poland versus Cameroon, coming from the beautifully, uh, completely finished uh, Coruña Stadium uh, at this stage, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, fairly finished, anyway. Fairly finished, kind of finished, not finished. Uh, oh, that's game number one. Game number two is Belgium versus El Salvador. Salvador and I thought I saw one nil, but obviously it was eleven nil. Isn't that right, Mick? Yeah, something along those yeah, lines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and then of course we finished with the Soviet Union versus New Zealand, which I'm told was the first time that's ever been said in well, I'm not sure any sport, but certainly in football. Is that right? 
Is that right, Carol? Well, uh, I haven't seen it pop up in the Rugby World Cup at any stage. No, so me neither. Um, incidentally, when I when I was looking at that uh, and discovered in the long history of the Soviet Union national team, this is the only time they ever played a team from Oceania. As wow. <laughs> So it kind of does show how isolated Australia and New Zealand were from international football at the time. There was a great stat in the commentary for this game that mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, let me get this right now. So it's like, I think it's like 51,000 football clubs in the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and 52,000 registered players in New Zealand. So there you go. If you want to yeah. pass the goal right there. Pure numbers. Well, the funny thing is, I found that this in the Soviet records, but in the New Zealand international records, they have five internationals against the Soviet Union. Oh, really? In February 1986. <laughs> uh, so some, some Soviet team went to New Zealand to play the All Whites in 1986. Um, mm-hmm. But clearly, the New Zealanders thought it was a better team than than the Soviets. <laughs> I think we just need to take a moment, though, just to pause and just consider the fact here on that you went and looked at the Soviet record and the New Zealand records to yeah, see their record he, against he, each other. Yeah, this is where we are, lads. This is what we're doing with our Kieran lives. Flew, he flew to Moscow in, in, in turbulent <laughs> times uh, to get to their national archives uh, and uh, look anything oh. for this podcast. Oh it actually gets God. worse. I found the program. Oh, the official program for the New Zealand tour. Um, but anyway, let's move on. And, and <laughs> you said too much. Poland, Cameroon. I've definitely said too much. Poland, Cameroon. <laughs> Poland, nil. Cameroon, nil. Right, nil, nil. Much like the other Cameroon game. Uh, was it that different, Kieran? No, it was very much like the other Cameroon game in that um, we, when we watched that the Peru game, we were talking about we felt Peru were unlucky, but I actually thought Cameroon contributed massively to that game and could have felt unlucky themselves. Mm-hmm. And the same is true here. You know, they kind of weather an early storm from Poland. Yeah. And then you're going, they could actually nick this here. And then if you're sad enough, like myself, you go and check their tournament record for the year because there was an African Nations Cup a few months before. And, mm-hmm. and they have the marvellous record of this is their fifth group stage tournament game in 1982 and their fifth draw. Good. And they have only scored once and conceded once in that oh, sequence gosh. of five games. So they are draw specialists. They, they, they kind of attack with like there's a real openness to the way they play football but like one of the reports I read the next day said like far too many passes not enough shots it was kind of a very simplistic report do you know what it was you hear this expression a lot and it it came from basketball but you now hear it associated with a number of sports overplay Mm. right Cameroon were guilty of overplay now I also am starting to think about these goalposts in La Coruña. Do you remember a few weeks ago they had to cut goalposts at a whole city game? I'm wondering yeah. if they're regulation size, but in reverse. It, it kind of reminds me of the sketch that they used to do on Fantasy Football League about Jason Lee. Okay. Yeah, that they'd have to redesign the shape of the post so that some of his shots would go in. Okay. <laughs> the posts in La Coruña feel like the twilight zone 
Like exactly. nothing is going close to going in. <laughs> what do you mean? Like in the way of like that they might be like square or something like, you know, they're not, I, I, they're I, just, not I just think, you know, or they're too they're, small. I don't know. This is good sci-fi time, isn't it? The Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers were big. There's probably a force field keeping the ball out of the two goals in in La Coruña. Actually, actually, when you consider the the stadium itself, God only knows what the goalposts are made of. Like, God only knows. It's true. Just donkey bones, leftover material from behind the rope that they tied large ships to on the beach. Yeah, they just pulled it in from the beach, which is remind everybody just behind the back of the stand. Right and it there. should have been where most people should have been rather than being inside watching these games. When it's I mean, God bless anyway. all, early on, they had all the chances. I mean, one of them. Yeah, there was uh, a funny one where they're just kind yeah, of like was literally stuff. lying on the ground. It's not, you can't call it a diving header so much as a, he, he's, doing, he's doing the plank and tries it's to. It's kind of like, I've committed to heading the ball and I'm going to do it because I've committed to it, even though you know you have a foot, don't you? But he's, yeah. flat, he's flat on the floor. He's like, lying and on the floor when the ball comes in. And he just Lado, who we rate highly in this moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he twitches the head and, and it kind of, it does go towards the goal, to be fair. But thank mm-hmm. God it didn't go in. It would have been much too weird if that went in. Yeah, we can't have weird goals. Can't. No, no. God, no. Did God, you catch no. any of it, Mick? It wasn't oh, your pr- primary game. Oh, yeah, right. my primary on. game, but no, I did. Oh, Lord. I mean, you know, oh, when I commit, Rob, I commit, for? like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. here. I'm, 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 I'm here to watch 1982, 80s football, you know. Um, yeah, I did. I mean, I, what I what I say, felt about it much the same as what Kieran said, really. I mean, I have a, I'll be honest, I have a bit of a, I have a bit of a, I won't say a block about the Cameroon team, but they're just a bit too defensive and muscular for my liking, to be honest with you. You know, uh, I, 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 and you're right. I mean, there is a certain openness when they do attack, and they do attack much more in this game, in the second game, than they did, I think. I think they're much better in this game. Um, mm. Emmanuel Kunde comes into it really, really well. He has some yes, cracking shots. Kunde, who we'll see in the 1990 World Cup in a few years' time. Oh. And do you know what always gets me? I don't know, I don't know whether this kind of gets you or not, but like when we were of, of, the, of the age to really get lost in the 1990 World Cup as kids, Roger Mia, of course, was the was one of the stars. Yeah, but to us, he would have been certainly to me. He was a complete unknown in 1990. But you look mm. at him in 1982; he is like the most important player in the Cameroon team, and he was almost missing for this game. He was injured. He plays, and he pulls the Polish defense all over the place. He creates all sorts of space just with his movement and stuff like that. Mm. And like, it's just kind of weird because you know your 1990 self is going this guy came out of nowhere oh wow and what age is he about 50 or something or 30 something yeah, 1990 he's like that Dennis Quaid character in The Rookie you're going oh this is amazing you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. where's he been all his life but he's he's clearly had this fantastic career already and you know it's, so it's really interesting to watch him at this World Cup being a younger Mila and and but Having this, having a similar, just unfortunately not scoring the goals that he scores later, and that's that seems to be the problem for Cameroon. There's a kind of a collective amnesia in around World Cups. Like we've gone from ninety back to eighty two, Kieran. But like it's like you know, watching nineteen ninety, it's like Cameroon have just appeared. This is what we're getting at here from nowhere. But like they had quite that's, a decent that's impact. In, here. That's in our memory because they become so? us in, Well, in here's my example. I think I think, I think if Kevin was with us here, like he'd have been very excited by. Because this is an expanded World Cup, so he'd have been excited by Cameroon are in it, Algeria are in it. Um, even to a certain degree, 
the likes of New Zealand, El Salvador, Honduras being a, I mean, and let's be honest, when they came up with the idea of expanding this, mm. some of the things that would have been on their mind would have been the commercial. Like we, we talked a couple of days ago about like the the comment that, you know, it was, uh, was it um, Brody's comment about the commercialization of the World yeah. Cup? Comparing yeah. 58 to 82. Comparing 82. One of the big considerations they'd have had here for having two CONCACAF nations or, you know, the North and Central American nations was that'll guarantee Mexico come in, which is a massive TV and sponsorship market. Oops. Oops. Because we're going to be talking about El Salvador. <laughs> um, you know, so a couple of things clearly backfired for them. They'd have created that route for extra Asian teams because they'd have been relying on one Gulf, potentially one Far Eastern. They'd have been thinking, we're going to get a China, a Japan, perhaps Australia. They'd have been thinking big mm. emerging first world economy into our World Cup. And oops, New Zealand are there. <laughs> but in a way, it kind of works out for them because, okay, like, okay, El Salvador take a terrible tanking like you. But that aside, all of these minnows, in inverted commas, are performing at, to this point of the World Cup. They're all performing. Kuwait yeah. are performing. New Zealand are doing well. performing. New Zealand, do yeah, um, you know, even you know, even Cameroon, an African nation coming up, performing, um, Honduras are doing it. So, like the idea, like there would have been criticism of opening up the World Cup as well, but the the the, the first phase has is already pushing all that aside. It's Play already a hypothetical just... game here for me, Mick. Right? Uh, is mm-hmm. it Harry Cavan was ahead in the Northern Ireland FA? It was something Cavan, yes. Mr. Cavan would call You're right. No, Harry Cavan. Yeah. Harry Cavan, yeah. and he was he was uh, in the paper saying, "Yo, no, I want the World Cup to go back to 16 teams," which sounds hilarious to us now because we're like, "Sure, how are you going to get there?" But at the time, it only shows how dominant Europe were that a smaller mm. nation, even at that time, like Northern Ireland, were, were were pretty happy with this. If they had done that, let's say FIFA had taken it back to 16, I don't know if it was even on the well, it seems to be on the cards. How long would that have lasted before we would have had a proper expansion do you think well, not yeah, long. I, I think ultimately no. the corporate interest would not, would have come along because companies would have been saying hey we've got markets in Africa Asia because mm. they'd be the places that they'd screw you know mm. they weren't going to take places away from UEFA or Conmebol so it would be the Asian teams the African teams they'd be they'd be screwed out of World Cup places um, and eventually commercial interest would say well we want you to open it up mm. but I do think you know, in his scenario there, this World Cup would be a lot less colourful. Oh, wouldn't it wouldn't have a half of the fun. And like the, the other thing though as well about the opening up of the World Cup and if it did not happen or whatever, like this is also the beginning of the era of Blatter. So it's always going to happen because yeah, his power base happen. is yeah. the smaller nations yeah. and giving them and giving them the opportunity to, to make World Cups and creating spaces for them is central to his entire career and his retention of power and and there are some like i've mentioned mexico being not being there that's a big loss in terms of you know yeah. a big footballing nation but the south american champions at the time were paraguay they didn't qualify yeah, yeah. so there's, still, know, competition. So there's, still, there's competition. still competition there's still competition and yeah. particularly in europe and south america the the qualification competition is cutthroat yeah where does this lads this game this cameroon game by the way i mean i meant when you were saying about the draws I can't remember whether they said this in the previous episode or not, but as you mentioned, there Cameroon's offered on the draws. They actually sacked the coach like before the World Cup because of this run of draws. 
Branko Zutic was a Yugoslav who kind of was coaching yeah. all over Africa at the time. He was given the road before the World right. Cup, and they got Jean Vincent in, uh, who 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 was very successful at Nantes. But anyway, that's 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 by the way. Where does this leave Poland now? Like, I mean, the Poles who would have fancied themselves have now two draws. Um, okay, they're probably thinking, well, Peru winnable, but like two games in, are they sort of starting to drift from our thoughts? I, I think the critical point here is if the games were in reverse order, like if they had two draws have after playing Peru and <clears throat> and Cameroon, this is a crisis moment, but they've got a point against Italy. Mm. So I think in their heads, they're probably, yes, they're worried about their um, lack of incision up front, but they know the talent they yeah. have, and I'd say they're backing themselves against Peru in the next game. I think Cameroon should have won this game, though. Overall, oh, they definitely should have. Definitely they should have. Yeah. They should have won this game. So they can't be happy performance-wise, and they'll prefer. They would presumably prefer Lato to be taking his chances while standing in an upright position rather than lying on the floor, which he's head of the ball. For Banyak's shots to be, you know, anywhere other than the the, st- the you know the stand that's missing I, in La Coruña. I, I have to say, I have to say, and I was I was just glorifying Banyak and after the first game against Italy, there was he had a bad day. Interesting. Interesting. Let's see where that goes as well. Uh, um, Because, you know, we love our geopolitics. Would you like to know how the world was at the time? I'm sure it was very stable and quiet. There was nothing going on. And, uh, you know, Uh, President Reagan, in a major rebuff to his West European allies, refused today to ease his ban on the sale of United States oil and gas equipment to the Soviet Union and in, instead extended the sanctions to foreign companies producing such equipment under American licenses. He wants to stop a gas pipeline from the Soviet Union to Western Europe. Well, that wouldn't happen today. No, no, that sounds very unfamiliar. Very unfamiliar. Mm. That's, that's President Reagan of America, is it? <laughs> yeah, well, of Ballyporeen. Last All time right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, the, the other thing that, interestingly, Reagan was talking about that this week was, this was, he spoke for the first time at the United Nations two days beforehand and he lectured the Soviets in a speech where he said that they had to bring about disarmament so that whole thing that we know from the 80s is beginning in this week in 1982 sorry I just had a vision of him criticising their selection policy of the 1982 World Cup at the United Nations you're playing Shingeli in the wrong place, lads. <laughs> wait, Gavrilov on for wait, the whole game. Wait, yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. you get your turn. We have another game in between. We're about to leave this game. Anything else, Dad? Well, Poland are going to go on and do bigger and better things. And Cameroon, like, they're are poised. They? They're poised. I, I think I think watching this... Both teams were well poised here, actually. Um, as everyone's poised I, in, group, in this poised. group. Poised. Everyone's Lots poised. poised the, no, it doesn't work. Like, like everyone's now on two points. It's the fourth consecutive draw in the group. And I think we've seen enough of Cameroon to be saying, oh, these boys could worry mm. a stuttering Italy. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll come back to you for some Team of the Week nominations a bit later. Moving on, game number two of our Quickfire Day. Belgium, one. El Salvador, nil. Right. What the hell happened here? What were Belgium doing? This is mental. This is like... This is like one of those games where you just can't score. Well, they did score, so I guess that's all that matters, Mick. They did. They did. They got the goal. I know. It, it, it was a game. 
a game in inverted commas. It was kind of just played. God, the Belgians just wandered along through it, to be honest. They got the goal. The worst thing that happened was they scored too early and then they didn't score again. So that just kind of killed the game. So they like mm. they just um, 17 or 18 minutes in, it was a long shot, like about 30 yards. It was a Belgian free kick. And literally, right, you know, they probably start out maybe 35, 40 yards from goal. One of the Belgians just kind of kicks the ball forward and Koek, the midfielder, kind of just jogs onto it and just blasts it from 30 yards. There's slight movement on the ball, I would say. Slight. I was about to say, we talked a couple of days ago about like the, the, about the tangle ball, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and about, you know, the goalkeepers beware. This was definitely mm. a case of goalkeeper because it's like there's a lot oh. of movement on the ball. No, do you think Koik, so? Koik's Koik celebration, so? Nick, it's that he actually yeah. signals it in his celebration. You can see him telling the other players, I think it just went zigzagging. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. I, like, the goalie is kind of, I think the goalie is still kind of, of it, like, he's, yeah. still, he's still organising the defence for whatever he thinks is coming and the ball's in the net, like. Mm. So it's one nil, and you think, oh, Christ, we're mm. off now. Because that is really demoralising goal yeah. because just previous to that, the goalie, Mora, had made an amazing save. Yeah, uh, was it from Vandenberg? I think it was a cross, yeah, a, header, yeah. a full stretch, one-handed save to tip it over the bar. This is more now, by the way. If anybody has somehow forgotten, who conceded ten goals in the previous game, so mm-hmm. like he, you know, he's a man under pressure. Facing the team, though. I, I uh, thought he yeah. doesn't say much for Eduardo Hernandez. Did you catch the after that? <laughs> I thought with two exceptions, he had an outstanding game. One was yeah. the goal. The other was, at one stage, he tries to parry a shot and nearly parries it into his own net. Oh, but God, I mean, that was horrible, he yeah. more than makes up for it with some top quality saves. Ah, yeah, he does. He has a couple that are actually identical. He does this kind of cat-like dive where he catches the ball in both hands. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I... But, it's one for the cameras. They're one for the cameras. But yeah, they, they you're like, look, he's enjoying himself. Thank God. About South American goalkeepers for that they're playing up to the camera in the way they dive. Yeah. But I mean, I thought overall he had a very steady game and is by some distance the biggest contributor to them not conceding more than yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's yeah, probably worth just very briefly, right, just recapping where they came from from 10-1. So, I mean, we spoke about it in the last episode, like that, you know, they played a game against the hotel staff, nearly got a guy fired, got him reinstated. You know, they got him fired because he was insulting him or there was some some Oof. bit of horribles. They got him back. They, they got his job back. Um, then they made a couple of key decisions. A, ignore the coach, whatever he says. Uh, and uh, B, just kind of, you know, kind of just play much more defensively. They, he wanted to go gung-ho. We're not going gung-ho anymore. Unfortunately, there was an earthquake in El Salvador in between the two matches. So, I mean, you know, they were already demoralized and, you know, Kind of, what are we doing here? And now, you know, news comes that there's a bloody earthquake. There was actually a lad, a ham radio operator in the shooting lodge where they were staying in Alicante. And he was the one who was bringing them back news of home. He was on the old ham radio to to home and bringing them back stuff. So that, that's how they were getting their, 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 their news. But they come back out for this game, like three centre backs, wing backs, uh, watchtowers on both wings with guys with machine guns in them. Um, no interest whatsoever, really, in getting forward if if they if they don't have to. Midfielders who are going in like just armed to the teeth, and if there's any kind of no, if the Belgians get any notion whatsoever of the idea of dribbling around someone, they get kicked into the stand fairly rapidly. They're in they're in the Belgians' faces as well. Sort of like a ball goes out over the line, the guy gets a dunt. You know, it was an era when you could kind of do a little bit of that, and I mean they're very aggressive. But I mean. Who could blame them? You know, it's like, lads, we can't concede 10 again. But actually, they're probably 
probably trying to give um, a little bit of, of a morale boost at home. Like, you know, you can look at, there's a big, there's a big disaster at home and oh, we don't want to be here. But actually when you're in, when you're on the world stage, you've got an opportunity just to, you know, give people some morale at home. Uh, absolutely no doubt about it. And that reminds me, there was like their qualification campaign uh, was quite something as well. And and one of the players, Maurizio Alfaro, made made a remark many years later about the qualifying campaign, no more so than the World Cup, that at least during those qualifying matches that in the middle of a civil war, the, the people united, he said, quote, for at least for a day. That was our greatest gift. The country was in deep suffering and we had the pressure of trying to reduce it. That was your qualifying and getting there was was enough. And it gave them and even these matches, even though they were traumatic for the players, they were probably less traumatic for the for the viewing public back home. Uh, who played well for Belgium, lads? And and what 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 are you judging? Because like they didn't uh, blow I, our minds yeah. in that first game. I thought Ludo Koik had a um, yeah, Koik was good. Like he was actually, he was very visible throughout the game. I thought Frankie Verkaufen was very good. Um. Yeah, and that Eric, Eric Jan, Garrett was busy. Eric Garrett was good. Jan Kuhlemans, I thought, played very well first half. Like, I mean, you got to get, I mean, I say, I, play, I say it very well. I mean, they're nearly playing at half pace. And I mean, if you really break it down, they could have had three or four or five, you know, but they didn't. I mean, there was a couple of headers, point blank headers. There was one, I think it was, it wasn't good. It was Vander Missen, midfielder, had a header kind of, but he was diving in a diagonal fashion, kind of jumping up in a diagonal fashion, trying to direct the ball back towards an open goal. And just couldn't couldn't pull it back, but like they, they could have had more. Gitis, the, the the manager was very 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 dismissive of the El Salvador effort against Hungary, as you would be. But he went even up above and beyond the college. He, he he called it the most shameful episode in the history of the World Cup. So he was kind of going, "Look, we're confident of beating El Salvador." Obviously, did, did managers ever think but, about what they were saying in those days in any I, way? I, I mean, think. No, I, I think it's brilliant. They're not. They're not. They're, they're so we have loads of examples of brilliant. There's stuff. a couple of things there. I'd say, Rob. I'd say number one, there's possibly a translation thing. So we're mm-hmm. reading whatever GT's probably said in perhaps Flemish, French or, or Flemish or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in English. So maybe shameful. Maybe there's a maybe there's a nuance there. But but to be honest, I, I'd say there's a genuine. I mean, look at the Germans and the Algerians. There's a genuine lack of kind of regard, stroke, respect for these for these small teams coming yeah. into the World Cup. Who Belgium and the likes will think oh, we're going to be cleaning them off. So he says, yeah. we're confident. We're confident we're going to win. We ain't going to score ten. They don't score ten. The second half kind of just dissolves into a sort of a just a tipping around affair. Um, but you're glad for the Salvadorans that they've that they've delivered some kind of performance. Um, and they get to swap jerseys with a very, very funky Belgian kit and they go home with a bit of nice kit, bit of nice gear. Uh, and I'd say this was frustrating for them because while they have guaranteed their place in the next round with this win, mm-hmm. um, they're also, they're playing Hungary next who are on two points. And if by any means Hungary were to beat them, yeah. that goal difference, the 10-1 could be critical. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, they like it's not like they weren't trying. Don't get me wrong. Like the Belgians were giving it whatever, but it just it just lacked the edge of a game. You know the way sometimes teams play up or play down depending on the opposition. Oh, they definitely um, played down here. So yeah. they played down here, and they played. I don't know that they play up against Argentina. They certainly went up on the occasion to win the game. So maybe they're that kind of team. Maybe we're going to see that as the competition goes on. Don't know. There was one scene at the end of it where like uh, there was an injury to Mora, the goalkeeper. He eventually gets up. 
and then yes. they restart the game. There's no there's no injury time, even though a stoppage for about four or five minutes. Uh, but they restart the game. But there's there's seven or eight El Salvadorian players in their own half, all like passing the ball around like it's a warm up, and the entire Belgian team are back in their half. And like yeah. El Salvador are only one goal down. So why aren't like the nine of them going? Just send it long <laughs> for the greatest moment in our history. Go for it. No, they're all like one nil. Yeah, we will yeah. take this. Well done, lads. Let's just keep it safe. That's honestly what happened. They You're just waiting for that statistic to come up like it does on football now. You know, possession last five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's sheer raw terror. I'd say it's just okay, sheer it's raw terror, terror that if we concede the second, it could be four by the time it's over. Even though it's only two minutes of injury, like, it's oh just because they are. Minutes. I mean, it has to be. That's the only thing has to be said. Like I think. Even though they were they were gallant in this game, I mean, there must have been at least three occasions in the first half where fellas stood on the ball and fell over. So, yeah. like, they are the worst team in the tournament as far yeah, as I can sure. figure it out so far. I know anyways. they got so, there. Referee was, referee was uh, an Irishman. Malcolm Moffat. That's right, yes, from, uh, from Northern uh, Ireland, wasn't he? It was treated to some Maradona-esque keepy-uppies while they waited for the Belgians to come out for the second half to... I, who's number 10 for El Salvador he, he was given at stocks in the centre uh, circle while they were waiting Huzo or Huzo I don't know how to pronounce it Huzo Captain no Berto Huzo there you go so there we go that's one nil. one nil we're, Belgium through we're all dying to talk about the USSR <laughs> if only there was some sort of Beatles reference Soviet Union three Ah, yes. Uh, you, you know, Soviet Union get the job done. A critical scoreline. It was the absolute objective, Mick Foley. They had to win by three nice. to get ahead of Scotland on goal difference, thus making sure that a draw, should it come up to pass, would be enough to beat, Scot- or to beat Scotland to second place. Yes, efficient and on point in every way, this one. So three goals, three nil gives them, as you say, the goal difference they require. Now it means, yet again, Scotland gets shat on from high at a World Cup. No. Uh, they now have to win. They have to win, whereas the Soviets can just, they just have to avoid defeat, essentially. Um, but they've, like, again, it's New Zealand. That, that is tough because Scotland's first half against Brazil was magnificent. Yeah. 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 And look what happened. It was probably better than the 90 minutes that the Soviets put in in this game. Like Jockstein is in the paper on the same day as this game after this game is played saying it's possibly the best 45 minutes he's ever seen. So like, you know, uh, Scotland have put themselves in position but here are the Soviets just kind of turning up and getting the job done. I guess, Kieran, in a way that Scotland didn't because like that's that's what history will tell you. Kevin Gorkin's been on with us already telling us this. Those two goals conceded against New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, that's the brutal truth. Is it's not what happened against Brazil; it's what happened against New Zealand that's going to cost them. Yeah. But um, I mean, I actually enjoyed this game for the yeah. Soviet play. Yeah, I'm really uh, enjoying watching them. Yeah, like I, yeah. I, I, I remember Sergei Baltaka from playing with Ipswich, but right. this is him in his prime, and. I have to say, like for me, one of the standout defenders in the tournament so far, Tassiev is everything we would expect because he was such a great goalkeeper. But mm-hmm. it's guys like Gavrilov and Blocking yeah. that uh, I'm really enjoying watching. And actually, Bal, I think Bal is a great bit of stuff. So, like, yeah, I like Blocking. Like, I mean, he's 30 at this stage. So, you know, he's got a couple, obviously got a few good years ahead of him. But 
you know, known at the time as one of the quickest players in the world, and you see it here. And it, again, it's one of those scenarios where it's it's sometimes it's nice to see a great player playing against slightly, well, not slightly inferior, inferior players that he can really go to town on him. I mean, here is a man who never let a good run to the end line go to waste. Like, I mean, he gets the end line so often in this match and mm. gets a crossover or does something. He scores one of the three goals. He scores one and I think he he assists the other two. He's completely all over this game. And he, he's terrific. But like him, Gavrilov, um, Shengelia, I really liked him against uh, Brazil. Um, here, he, I would, at a conservative estimate, I would say he misses about five goals. He certainly should have had a hat trick. Four, maybe, and, you know, at a stretch to five. Shengelia, Gavrilov, Blokin. And as you mentioned, Kieran Ball as well, out on the right-hand side. You have Demianenko on the left wing at left back. He's a ter- he's terrific. Shevadze in the centre of defence. Probably was very, very good. Um, they just look a really... I mean, if, if if you were watching this in 1982, they have all the hallmarks of your, your quintessential dark horse, really, don't they? I'm I'm looking at it here. Uh, the breakdown, Kieran, you're big into this. Like it, it's a, like they get called in all the papers in those days. The Russians. It's like ca- calling the the Netherlands Holland, really, but not because there's probably more players from the region of Holland in the Netherlands uh, national team in those days uh, than there was the uh, Russians. Only two Russians started this game. That's Dasiev and uh, Gavrilov. But outside of that, like Blockin, Ball, Ukrainian. Um, Couple of Georgians from that day, and um, four, and actually four Ukrainians. As a footnote, Vitali, um, one that I come back to is Vitali Daricelia. But um, Blockin is fascinating because his mother was a multiple champion pentathlete. So Ooh. from a very age, like Mick mentioned, his speed from a very young age, he is trained as a sprinter. So he has that raw speed. Like in 1975, so seven years prior to this, he's the European Footballer of the Year and won the Ballon d'Or. Yeah. You know, only the second Soviet and the first Ukrainian to achieve that. Now, he's had an interesting career since. Uh, Obviously, people will remember he managed Ukraine for for a time. Yes. But he served two terms in the Ukrainian parliament while managing in Greece, which I thought was some achievement. (laughs) That's very going in fairness, yeah. Very going. Like he's like, like obviously a folk hero. A folk hero in the Soviet Union and Ukraine, I would imagine. Uh well, over those years. Harder, I think, which probably would have made it, you know, yeah. Easier for him to be so at the time. Sure. Interesting thing, like I, I I just I can't recall to what degree we went into this before about about the uh the coach, Konstantin Beskov. Very interesting guy. Um I think I mentioned before, right? This is his third stint in charge of the USSR, and it's really a sort of a it's a it's a big moment for him coming back uh, as as the coach at this point. But it's interesting to look at the people who are around him. And uh, Rob, you mentioned just the, the kind of the, the how the, the constitution of the team. So, yeah. like the, the starting eleven against New Zealand, there was only three clubs represented. Right, uh, Dynamo Kiev, who would have been managed by Valery Labanovsky, who's there on the bench beside. Beskov, Dinamo Tbilisi, whose coach Nodar Akilkatsi is on the bench as well uh, with Beskov and Be- and and Spartak Moscow, who Beskov would have coached. Right. right? So what's you happened can, here? Yeah. Right. And it, this is interesting now because what's happened here is Beskov has been given the job, right? But he's been also given these two lads as assistants. Now, at the time, 
um, it, it was officially announced that Beskov had asked for assistance, right? That he had asked for these two. I mean, uh, Lobanovsky, people will remember Lobanovsky, I, I would imagine, from later on in the 80s with, with USSR teams at European Championships and stuff. And obviously with Dynamo Kiev as well. Incredibly uh, accomplished, innovative coach, you know, so, sports science, w- the way of thinking about the game, all the rest of it. It's it's impossible to imagine that Beskov would have actually asked for these two to be brought in. So you have you have a feeling now that there's too many cooks spoiling the broth. That's the fear. But when you listen to the players, so Sergei Baltica and Gavrilov would both have said after the World Cup that the message from the three coaches remain consistent. You know, despite all, despite all this going on, mm. um, they enjoyed playing under Beskov. Baltica would have said, quote, he would have said Beskov had high standards, head up, playing technical, fast, beautiful football. It was different. And this is years later. He's saying in my coaching, I tried to use a mixture of the two approaches. So so Labanovsky would have would have been a little bit more conservative. Beskov would have been more push forward. Um, so you have this sort of a conflict going on within the coaching setup, but it seems to be working. And I mean, when you look at them on this in this game and I guess, and I guess the Brazilians as well. They really look, they look so impressive. Karen, where does this Soviet Union team, do you think, as, be, like, as best you can tell, fit into the history of Soviet Union football? Like, we know there's this great aura around them, but it comes from pre-1990, let's take, let's take that example, because we watched them in our rewatch of Italian 90, and they, their greatness was kind of waning. Well... <laughs> Their greatness was waning at that stage, but they had been runners-up in Euro 88. So, you know, there's pedigree there. Hmm. And I like, mean, Mick has mentioned the the mix here. Dynamo Tbilisi won the European Cup Winners' Cup the year before. You know, so yeah. that's that's a Georgian team. You know, they're, they're not seen to be one of the big clubs. But at this point in time in Soviet football, they are. And I like... I've just enjoyed watching them because I think yeah, we too. have the stereotypes that we imagine. Yeah. Uh, of, yeah. you know, they'll be kind of a Red Army team. You know, everything will be militaristic and disciplined and structured. But actually, they play with flair. But it's, it's, and it's interesting. It comes back to something, Karen. You might, I mean, you definitely mentioned this, maybe not in this podcast series, but in other series about the Soviet Union focusing sports on different countries within the Soviet Union. So Ukraine becomes the football hub. Like, if Rob, to your point here, where is, where, where are they in all this? So, so the USSR didn't make a single major tournament through the 70s, right? It was like flatlining. Um, they were in decline really since the 60s, since kind of Lev Yashin, the great goalkeeper, that era, 60s. They were, they were really in, in decline. 82 even, you know, is considered now, looking back, a little bit too early for this team. They weren't quite there yet. But they're getting there. As I mentioned, Labanovsky is at the heart of the Kiev. There is politics trying to balance Dynamo Kiev and Spartak as well. I mean, it's interesting, actually, when the boys, the boys, you know, when they've met... Um, the rival, like there was a fine rivalry, like between Spartak Moscow and Dynamo Kiev, and between Beskov and Lavanovsky. And funny enough, there was only ever one draw. They played twenty league matches, either in charge of the, each other's each club. There was twenty league matches, only one draw, and that was when Lavanovsky was actually away. He was away that week from the game, and his his assistant was in charge, and it, it finished level. But um, so you have Beskov sort of there 
with the Olympic team in the seven in, in nineteen seventy six with a core Spartak players. You've Labanovsky being brought in with his Kiev ideas and possibly trying to balance the team towards towards Ukrainian players as well. And then you have, as Kira mentioned, you've got a very successful group of Georgians in Tbilisi. So it's kind of starting to come together for them. And you can see like as you say, they're so technically good, they're fit, they're very fit. And in the conditions, you're really noticing the fitness now in these early games I think anyway um, and they've done, their, they've done the obligatory training camp as we mentioned before I mean yes. I'm just going to mention one of the Georgians I did say would come back to him but Vitaly Darasalia mm-hmm. um, is substituted at half time in this game yeah and that's the last game that he will start for the Soviet Union because later that year tragically he's killed in oh. a car accident and it's it's horrific the circumstances of it. Um, his car plunged from a mountain cliff into a river. Ugh. His body was carried away and completely buried in sand. It was thirteen days before they found him. Oh, dear. Um, now he seems to have been one of the real characters of this team. He scored the winning goal for Dynamo Tbilisi in that uh, UEFA Cup Winners Cup final in nineteen eighty one. And he his son uh, Vitali Junior later goes on to play for Georgia, but the naming of his son is one of these stories that's told about him, which is in 1978, they had played Napoli. He mentioned to his teammates that that his wife was expecting their second child and whoever scored that night, he would name the child after. But he scored that night. So Mm, hence why we get Vitaly Jr. And and I mean, he's still revered in Georgia. The, The stadium in his hometown is named after him. Mm. Uh, his and and there was a his house became a museum. Wow! Um, but it was reported in December two thousand and nine by his mother that the house or museum had been plundered and burned down. Oh, Lord! Yeah. Oh dear me! Dear it's me. yeah. That's that's just tragic, and that's such a like such a folk hero. Now it's a for so many people who love Georgian football for what he did for Tbilisi. Ah. Oh. Tragic. On, on like on on the football side, this let's not forget New Zealand here. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No, we're going to get to it, but it's I just want to. They've 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 had a bit of a they've done all right against Scotland, you know, in losing. They've made mm-hmm. three changes. They've uh, they've completely reshuffled their defence. So um, both has gone to centre back. They've uh, from midfield. They've brought in Glenn Dodds and. Ricky Herbert. Now, Ricky Herbert is probably a familiar name to some people because at a certain point in the 80s, he did have a spell with Wolves. But also, the next time New Zealand qualified for the World Cup in 2010, he would be the manager. (laughs) Um, And the other change then was Duncan Cole. But I mean, what I found interesting in checking out about the New Zealand team is they had switched goalkeeper prior to the tournament. And Mm -hmm. this is the team that had played 15 qualifying games. Man, During the no. course of which the goalkeeper Richard Wilson had not conceded a goal for 921 minutes. So I'm kind of going, what, what are you doing? Because now in the first two games of the World Cup, you've conceded eight. Yeah. Madness. What did he do? What did he do to get dropped? Like, what is going on there? Good lord! I mean, um, and Van Hatten, Van Van Hatten, Van Hatten is in goals in this game. I actually thought he played all right. Yes, the, the, he's conceded eight goals. You can see he's three here, but he's played okay. But yeah, you'd imagine the other goalie got got to be pretty pissed off. Actually, do you know who's in the crowd for this game as well? I don't think any European has seen as much of New Zealand as Jock Steen. 
he he turned up with this game as well to have a look at them. I mean, this is Jock Steen. I mean, who I he didn't remember. go to New Zealand to follow the League of Ireland eleven. His interest was definitely in the New Zealanders. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the man the man went as far as Wellington to watch League of Ireland eleven play in New Zealand, and now and he's obviously seen a few more since, and now he's decided. Jeez, I'm on the journey with them, quite apart from being in the same group as them and whatnot. But, yeah. uh, you know, obviously he's having a look. They're so, so I'm being silly now. But he he uh, he was in the crowd. Um, they did well. Um, the, the reshuffle kind of worked in defence. Both was excellent, I thought, at centre-half. Kenny Creswell, love the name. Uh, he's an aluminium joiner uh, for anybody. He's a huge player. He's their best chance. I was impressed by... Winton Roofer, you can see why he became the player he became afterwards. Yeah, because he's only 19. Like. But Bolt, Bolt's pedigree, like his, it's, his spell in Scotland was with Dundee United and Forfar. Mm. So this is a big step up. And I would have to say on the basis of the two performances so far, he's done well. Apparently he was let go from Dundee United. According to the commentator on the on the feed, anyway, he was let go because Jim McLean, the, uh, the famously... Irritable uh, Dundee United manager didn't like his attitude. Didn't like the cut of his jib. Uh, I'm a big fan of Duncan Cole, as we've talked about off air. Um, first of all, because mm. he's their enforcer. Second of all, because he's wearing the beads and looking cool. Can you describe the beads, Rob? Well, it's a full look. At first, it just jumped at me as a pearl necklace, to be honest. Um, mm. But it's something far clear. Yeah. Like, it's the kind of thing. That if you went traveling in the early noughties, right. it's the kind of thing that you're going to come home from Australia or, or New Zealand indeed with, and you're going to wear it for the first three weeks at home, and then you're going to catch sight of yourself yeah. in the mirror going, what am I doing? <laughs> and like it's there, but they work for Duncan. Duncan makes them rock. He absolutely, do you know why he makes them rock, Mick? Because because the tackles he puts in while wearing them. You know what I mean? Like, That's who wear those beads don't make those tackles normally. You're right there. I'm saying, if you're like, I'm going to go out there and show, oh God, he's broken my legs. Uh, you wear what you want. Duncan Cole, uh, another 1982 um, player, sadly RIP. Yes. Oh, yeah, about seven years ago, yeah. Oh, far before his time and uh, suddenly yeah so still sad but I, I in some of the quotes about him from his teammates after he passed away just so showed what a character he was um in the squad and there's a good team spirit in the squad and they do you know they're coming out in the second half and they're smiling and chatting and there's an energy about them that i like one thing that blows my mind though is like you're in a world cup you're losing 3-0 you're trying to give guys an opportunity and again i go back to the substitutes no substitute used by new zealand in this game like I mean, yeah. you're 3-0 down. You throw a few other guys on. What the hell? It doesn't make any sense to me. Although, Rob, you say, like, you know, they're tight-knit and all the rest, but they'd want to be. Like, 15 World Cup qualifiers, six, count them, six games against the League of Ireland 11. <laughs> I don't <laughs> team has ever played any team as many times as that. They travelled... 64,000 miles. Oh, can you imagine how many? Later qualifying. 64,000 miles. I mean, it's hard to even credit that. Like You're not talking about, and you're not talking about like 12-hour super jet journeys. You're talking about up and down and we'll stop here in the Philippines and we'll get up again and we'll get down again. Probably. I'm just look, predicting look, here. They, they, famously, they had to crowdfund to get, get to China, to was it? In Singapore, yeah. you know what I mean? So, um, fair wow. play to them. Like, they've put themselves um definitely on the map like some of them have really performed well mm-hmm. and admirably despite the limitations that they have um i don't think we can 
go through any more than that game. Do you want to go on to the team of the day? Team of the day is coming up, but just to note that in Malaga that day, the entire stadium was full of Scottish fans <laughs> singing <laughs> Kiwis. 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 <laughs> Which I don't think New Zealanders would chant themselves, but, uh, you know, i, I got to give them credit. And it's every time you see them, you've got a free army. kick. That's why Jock was there. He just wanted to mix with the <laughs> fans. So many Scottish and, uh, fans. Andy Roxborough from a later... <laughs> <laughs> it's just Scottish fans everywhere and then like the Spanish seem to like the Soviet Union and I've decided just to completely just put my own absolute ridiculous interpretation on it that maybe around about that time post-Franco there was a bit of communism in Spain so they liked the Soviets because they were against the communism that's what I've decided that's your geopolitics for today yeah come here here's a question I, I just kind of random right because I was thinking about this uh, in the last couple of days right at this stage now right we've seen all the jerseys right if, if you had to pay cash money for one for an eighty-two World Cup jersey, which one would you pick? I'd be of paying cash money for a number of them. A number this of them. Oh, yeah, that's a, if you have five and then narrow well, it down because I want the Cameroon jersey. I well, just well, which one do you want? You got to pick one. I'm going to. I'll. My starter is. I. I think the Yugoslav jersey is fantastic. Oh, absolutely amazing. Great shout. Royal blue, white pinstripe, small little collar. And yeah. red and white stripes down this down down the shoulders, beautiful thing. I have to say, I love the Belgian kit. Belgian kit's brilliant. Yeah. It's one of those classic admiral strips. It reminds me of a scale electric set. So you've got like red, <laughs> but then you've got two tracks down, down the right side. and the left hand yeah. side, straight down scale electrics. Google it. But like even the boring you, ones, Rob? even the boring you go ones. Cameroon, are, is it? Well, no, but even the boring ones are nice. Like that's one of the best Spanish jerseys of all time, I think. Yeah, it's it so is nice. classy. Uh, uh, look, so many like cool, the French, both French jerseys are outstanding. Um, oh, I agree. Whisper, uh, England's away jersey, which I wouldn't England, wear. England's obviously, oh, England's yeah. jersey are fantastic. Um, gotta like the Northern yeah. Ireland one. There's a yeah, yeah. The only jersey yeah. away. Yeah, big fan of that. Pinstripes and stuff on the shoulders. It seems to be a winner. I think Hungary have a decent enough one. Ash, stop. Even, even the El Salvador with the ES. ES. There's something so cool about it. That's, that's what I'd be going for. It's in the game. I, look, I, I'll say I'll say the Cameroon one. I don't know why, but I just want the 1982 Cameroon. You like, yeah. you like the floppy collars? I do. I do. Team of the day. Considering uh, I actually watch Peru I'm versus Cameroon, I can't judge. for a change. Go on. Do you want to be the veto on my team today? Yeah, name it. Yeah, go on. Players in and out. Uh, okay, so I this might be controversial because there's some very good goalkeepers in the group in the games, but I went for Luis Guevara Mora of El Salvador because I thought overall he had a very like to bring it in from ten to one. <laughs> that, that's solid improvement by yeah. any measure. Yeah, yeah. and he was exercised. It wasn't like he was sitting behind a, a rock solid defense. Like he had to, he had to earn that one. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I'm looking at the other <laughs> nominees and I'm thinking, yeah, and Kuno did well, but yeah, okay. Oh, Kuno was good. Uh, Dasev is always good. Um, but I just felt as yeah. much for having Guevara as his middle name, we'll go with Luis. You know. Yeah. Go on. Uh, I, I've gone for a back three. Oh, so I'm going for Eric Gerritz, or Heritz, mm. Gerritz, big fan, um, Sergey Baltaka, who I oh, mentioned yeah. earlier, and I was really impressed in the Cameroon game by Michel Kaham, both defensively okay. and taking the ball out. Like he went with vigor when he was attacking. I'm going uh, to mention 
two more names. Go on. Right? I'm not necessarily saying they should be in, but I would definitely say Demianenko as a left back for Soviets was superb. And Alan Both, who midfield back. I would I, I I tell you what, right? Bit of horse trading, right? Yeah. We're going to see Eric Harrods again, right? Let's get let's get Alan Both in there for Harrods. All right, yeah. I'm making that change. Yeah. All right. Because okay. we can okay. do this. I've gone for three four three, so I've four midfielders. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first is Emmanuel Kunde, a man we will come to know in Italian ninety. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. The biggest attacking threat for Cameroon. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. that. I've gone for two Belgians in the central midfield. Jeez, no poles here. Goal for it. Yeah. Uh, Ludo Quick and yeah. Fred I thought Verkauteren was very good in that game. Uh, and then I've gone for Yuri Gavrilov, who has impressed me now in both games. And funny enough, has been taken off in both games. So it's obviously a thing they do. When he was uh, in, I would have to say, you know what I mean? No, probably. He yeah. has run himself tirelessly. Um, and then up front, my three are Oleg Blocking. Yeah. Winton Roofer who I I can see why he ends up being the player he becomes with Werder Bremen in particular. And I've gone for Gregor Lato for, you know, the audacity of trying to score a header while doing a press-up. No why not? Roger Mila in there. I suppose he didn't score. Roger Mila definitely worth it. An Agonesian who came on at halftime for the Soviets oh. was excellent in the second mm. half. Excellent. And actually, Shivadze as well in the centre of the Russian defence. Yeah, it? very good. Yeah. Was 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 very very good. Um, just when you mentioned Koic, and I mean, you know, I don't want to, you know, bring it bring it down, but you know, these things come in threes, I suppose. Ludo Koic is another man who doesn't last very long after the eighty two World Cup. Oh. Uh, unfortunately, sadly, he was very very badly injured in a car crash. His BMW uh, plowed into the crash barriers on a on a motorway uh, in Belgium three years later. So Ludo Koic, uh, unfortunately. Didn't quite make it too far beyond the World Cup in '82 either. Well, he will always have that goal. He sure yeah. will. It's, it's a, like a cracker. It is. It is a cracker. You know, all we can say about the keeper, but yeah, it is a cracker. It is a cracker. I don't think there's any arguments there. I mean, we're putting two New Zealanders on because we can. Yeah, they lost 3-0, but we don't care what you think. We're just doing it because we're looking for all the individual stories of this. World if Cup. we start getting letters about having too many New Zealand oh te- New Zealand players on the team today, yeah. I think I think we're in we're in trouble here. You know, or or you we're, we hit the jackpot. You say that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me just we find out. our audience. <laughs> in the many shoot magazines I've been reading from 1982, there's an absolutely outsized number of letters from people mm-hmm. in New Zealand. Really? Yeah. Letters to the editor, yeah. And I mean, it did just remind me that shoot was a global phenomenon. I mean, if you bought it in the UK, it was 28 pence. Would you like to know the prices in some of the overseas territories? Uh, I can, I, well, I can't remember them, but I do remember looking at them as a kid and going, I'm glad I don't live in New Zealand. Well, it, it'll give you some idea of exchange rates or inflation or something like that. But anyway, Australia, it was 57 cents. Mm. In mm. New Zealand, it was two cents cheaper, 55. Mm. In Malaysia, it was $1.95. Jeez. It was an expensive piece of literature in Italy. It was 1,700 lira. <laughs> right. And if you wanted to buy it in Denmark, it was 11 kronas. And what would you say it was in... Dear old era at the time. 
era. Uh, 50p. It was 41p, which, by the way, included VAT. Oh, interesting. Yeah, if they were exercising New Zealand, what I found interesting was, like, John Watson was on our commentary and there was about 15 minutes into it. More. Maybe it was as related as the first goal. He's like, uh, I believe our viewers from New Zealand have just joined us where it's 1-0. And I was like, my God, what were yeah. they showing in New Zealand? Were they sticking with their version of like the news or whatever? What the hell, lads? Probably, probably, probably Shortland Street. Yeah. You know or, what? Uh, TV uh, wasn't on air at that point. They probably just said, no, we don't come on air until 6 a.m. or whatever it was. <laughs> like, you know, given <laughs> given that it's so similar to Ireland, it was probably like imported programs from the Beeb or Australia. <laughs> and... Country practice. I, I'm going. I'm going to bet that you know the top of the pops just finished, and on come <laughs> fifteen minutes into it, the second biggest game in the history of New Zealand soccer, <laughs> or, or more likely, there was a provincial championship rugby game on somewhere that had oh, yeah. vastly more prominence. Schools Junior B Cup final. Yeah, that's it. All right, that's it from us. Unless someone has any objections, I'm going to bring the show to an end. Day eight. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? next? Just hold on, hold on, hold on. We can make this funny and say, Rob, have you not? I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. I have a feeling. I have a feeling that the farm team of the World Cup are going to be in action, and it's not Brazil. This is a good day. Spain and Yugoslavia is a good game. Whoa! Yeah, let's get into that. England and Czechoslovakia. Yeah, England, the foreign team, team, lads. And West Germany trying to save their tournament against Chile. Oh, this is a good day. Stop. This, there's goals. I'm getting that. Do you know I, what I, I missed, Colin? We're going to have missed Colin, Colin Jordan cannot be on this show. There's yeah. sparkling many goals. Start with entertainment here. Do you know the Maybe way? Just do, come on. Thank do you know the way after like a hangover? Like so you're you're in you're in that hangover phase, and and then you kind of start to come out of it later in the day, and you kind of start to get a little bit of. Bit of energy. That's yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. But you see, what I have right now is, and what you couldn't possibly get with with the current World Cup that's on at the time we record these, and I definitely have here is is that childlike feeling of oh, one day's over, and you're checking the paper and you're looking through those fixtures, and you're like, that is it. I'm getting the two mm. jobs I've been asked to do done early, and then <laughs> I cut that lawn, and then I'm in the room, living you're room. Cutting the lawn in the middle of December. God help you. Well done, Rob. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so glad we're not at the current World Cup because there'll never be those memories that we had of, you know, taking a break from Bale and Hay to watch the, the Ireland-Romania game. We're <laughs> taking a break from during late November, early December in Ireland at the moment. The cold, oh, the wind, the rain. Watch the 86 World Cup. Okay, no, let's leave it at that. That's it from us. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Adios.